Welcome to The Table. Welcome to The Table is a podcast put on by the good people of Pulpit Rock Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's an opportunity for us to invite you to sit at a table with us as we have conversations about things that we find interesting or helpful in our journey with God. My name is Thomas Thompson. I'm your host, and I'm here today with my co-host, J.M. Defogey. Hello. Hey, and we are in the middle of this season having a conversation about one of the most interesting and helpful things that we've ever discovered, and that is the Bible. And so we're going to be diving back into that conversation right now. Okay, let me throw out something practical here. So we've been talking a lot about you got to understand the genre that you're in. You got to understand kind of the intent of the author. Mm -hmm. You know, was he using hyperbole? Was he using language like the, the wings of his healing, you know, what, what's going on? And then how do we apply that to us? One thing that's always helped me is to think about, think about a passage in three ways, right. how the original audience would have understood this and, and applied it in their lives. What is eternally kind of true or, or all the time kind of true from this passage? And then well, how does it apply to me today in my world when I don't face some of those same things? So like the, the tattoo one, for example, uh, if I, if I don't, if I don't walk through those three steps, it, then I start doing just a one-for-one one thing of going, well, the Bible says it, no tattoo, I believe it, therefore I should not get a tattoo. Yeah. Instead, I would go, how how is how are the original audience back here in Leviticus, how would they have mm-hmm. uh, understood this? And, you know, sometimes you have to have a commentary there or some other cultural aids to help you, but you understand, okay, they were they were understanding that, that God did not want them branded with other cultic gods, images, yeah. cultic images, whatever. Okay, so what's true about that for all time? I'll throw that to you. Like, what, what, what's a truth about that for all time? When you were even talking about it, I think it, it, for me it related to Revelation. We spend a lot of time on the mark of the beast in okay. evangelical circles. What is it? How do I avoid, avoid it? Is Visa the mark of the beast? Because it's V I S A, right? Those are each sixes in different oh languages. My gosh. But the point that John is, is, if you look at the whole of that section, John is saying, hey, there are two marks. There's the mark of the beast and the mark that God has put on the head of everyone who's believed in him. Don't worry about the mark of the beast because you're marked by God. I think that is probably more in line with the tattoo thing. Okay. Like, let's not... When we get tattoos, because as you, as you can't see us in podcast land, but... They're glorious. They are. Tom, Thomas is covered head to toe and just like... I just have a, a tiger that's on fire. Just <laughs> covering my chest. It, uh, it is glorious. Um, yeah. But I think we need to be careful when we get tattoos. Are they mm-hmm. things that we like? Are they, as the guy who got who gave me my tattoos, he was like, listen, they are, they are road signs of who you are along your journey in life. They don't have to be something you're going to love forever, but there's something that you can look back and say, hey, at this point, this was something that meant a lot to me. Or are they things that could or are idols in our life? And I think that is probably closer to should we get a tattoo of it or not than just a strict never get a tattoo. What I liked about your three questions are very often it's easy to read scripture with this giant gap that we're not aware of. Scripture was written back then, but I've got it on my phone instantly, or I went down to the bookstore. And so really, all I need to do is figure out how this manual applies to my life today. And the first question plants a foot in the past. 
what was it originally, what was the author's intent, what was the original, like, what would people of hearing this have yeah. done? The eternal truth is the bridge that gets us to today. Mm-hmm. And only then, I think, can we accurately say, well, what does this mean for me? You have to go through the eternal, what is always true of God. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to get to that middle one, the eternal one, I, I always ask uh, kind of, what does this passage say about people? Mm-hmm. What does this passage say about God? What does it say about me? So what what is, I don't know why we're harping on this tattoo one, but it's there. <laughs> what, what is this, what does this passage say about people? And that, that's kind of true of all time. Well, people like to identify with things. People like to... Uh, be aligned with things. People like to wear the jersey of the team that mm-hmm. they support. They like to be uh, part of this certain political party. That's a human nature thing. Yeah. What does it say about God? God wants his identity to be the primary yeah. definition of us. So so if I just go from the original, oh, they would have not gotten tattoos, therefore I shouldn't get tattoos, I will miss an opportunity to ask those questions about what is this thing that's true about God all the time? What is this yeah. that's true about us all the time? Yeah. What's it saying about me all the time? Mm-hmm. I I tend to put my identity in a lot of things other than Jesus Christ. Oh yeah. So now I'm now I'm in an application mode. What does that look like for me as a dad? Yeah. As a husband. You know, if, am I putting uh you know when if I'm having a rough patch with one of my kids, where is my is my identity locked in how good I'm performing as a father, or is it really locked in with Christ? Yeah. See that's I think a closer way to that, that's applying a hermeneutic. And it's beginning to walk through the text. So start with the original audience. Go to what's true of God, people, and us of all time. And then bring it back to our world. Well, what do we do with the ugly or confusing or really difficult parts of the Bible? Right? And, and I think we kind of talked a little bit about here about war stories, weird commands, arguments, end times prophecy, that sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, you had talked earlier a little about uh, progression. So... There, there definitely is a progression of understanding that we see happen through Scripture. I'll use this. that There's an evolution of understanding. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you and I hopped in a DeLorean, went all the way back in time. We'd have to figure out the space thing, too. But we, well, we could drive up and talk to Moses. And let's say that we could speak his language. Yeah. And we would say, Moses, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He would say, who? Who are you talking about? <laughs> Then he'd probably say, no, I would never worship Jesus Christ. My faith is in Yahweh. Yeah. Now, well, if you used other language or maybe start talking about the seed of Abraham, he might go, okay, yeah, I'm looking for that guy. But the point is, the, the name of Jesus wasn't revealed to Moses back then. That came later. Right. And there are other things that we see. For example, uh, you go to Acts 15 and you see Paul and Barnabas and this whole issue of circumcision. Yeah. For thousands of years, God has said, I want the mark of my, I want people to have a physical mark on them. And in fact, I want them to have that mark in a place where they definitely connect it to children and the passing on of seed, that they will always remember that the strength of their life is not in their own power, but in uh, the Messiah who's going to come is yeah. So we get circumcised. And then you have these people that are now coming to faith in Christ, and this big argument starts to brew. How come these guys aren't getting circumcised? And there's actually one of my favorite lines in the Bible is, some of the circumcision party believed that, da, 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 da. Yeah. 
And I always thought, this would be the worst party ever to go to. <laughs> hey, have a little party. That, oh, great. I'd like to come. Right. Right. So um, so they get into this argument, and Paul and Barnabas say, you know what? That rule is not in effect anymore. Wow. These two, two guys just contradicted or just overruled or threw out or said is obsolete a rule that was a foundational thing throughout the scriptures. Yeah. That's pretty powerful, but it's progression. Yeah. This rule is not in effect anymore. So what so one of the things I'm wondering about is this. We have we have things that were true back then and they're not true now. So I I played this idea. Imagine that we have three buckets. Okay. Bucket number one, the time it's the timeless will of God for all people. This is what God's always wanted for his people. So going from there. A second bucket was God's will for a particular time or group of people. And then third, could there be something that reflects what people believed or practiced or was part of their cultural context or is just where they could where they were at this point in history, but it's not God's will. Hmm. The places that I would uh, put things in that third bucket is there's a lot of the Psalms where the psalmist is struggling with depression okay. or anger. And I'm not saying that's not God's will, but that is a very human, you know, the Psalms that end with darkness is my only companion. And there is no like call to praise at the end of it, where we see the heart of humanity come through in a fallen world. And the arc of scripture is God, you know, pulling us out of that. But there are parts of the Psalms where we have the, you know, hey, God, dash the baby's skulls against the ground. We see a far more human call for vengeance or human despair mm. that exists in all of us, like myself included, that resonates with me. But I can I can step back and go, that that's more the psalmist than God's timeless will to, like, leave us in a place where darkness is my only companion or where the call for vengeance even against the children of enemies. That's not the heart of God seen over the arc of scripture. Is that kind of what you would talk about? Yeah, that, it, that's, that's, that's a challenging, um, that's a challenging example because, um, that's, just, this is where some people go, well, maybe there was an old Testament God who was kind of mean mm -hmm. and strict. And then there's a new Testament God who's love. And, and, but if they're the same God and there's a unity and, and Christ is the exact representation, then we shouldn't have conflict between right. those two. So how do we begin to solve those things? Um, one thing we talked about in an earlier episode is um, the beauty of Christ is that he was both divine and human in one body. Yeah. I can't explain that. No one can. But that's why it's beautiful. Yeah. To me, the beauty of the scripture, the word of God, is that it is divine and also human mixed together. You know, and like you said into it, Mark is going to talk about Jesus different than John's going to talk about mm -hmm. Jesus. And if it was just purely like dictated to them, we would just have one voice all through yeah. scripture. So we have uh, this mixture of humanity. And I, the, the older I get, the more I appreciate the humanity that we see in the scriptures. Now, some of that humanity comes out in ways. There's some bad theology in the Bible. Let's go to the book of Job, where three theologians sit around with Job and try to tell him all these things. And they're giving him all this theology. And now we're looking at it going, that's not true. That's bad. You're getting bad advice, Job. And thankfully, God shows up at the end to say, all right, enough chit chat. Let me, yeah. let me lay it out. 
Um, there's bad use of scripture in theology. When Jesus and Satan are having a conversation at the temptation and, and Satan is misusing scripture to lead Jesus down a path. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's some things that are included in the Bible that may may not represent what God's heart is. They may just represent what happened or they may just represent um, uh, kind of how people thought back then. Yeah. And, and we see this all the time with Abraham lies about his wife, Sarah. Well, God doesn't want us to lie. Right. But this is why I love scripture. Scripture is the unedited version, I think, for the most part. You're getting the R-rated parts. Yeah. If if I'm David uh, and my biography's been written, I, I want to cut that whole Bathsheba part out. Right. That's horrible. But or it's the in part there. where I sense it when I defy God and count the you know the military strength of Israel and right. then a bunch of people die. Yes, I was cut this stuff out. If I'm trying to lay this out, and, and I'm still thinking through this, but if if that's true that there could be stuff in the Bible that really was more reflective of what people thought or heard and not. Uh, really reflective of God's heart. So let's go to your example. This is what we have a problem with the Old Testament. It seems in the Old Testament that some of the following things are either taught or they are accepted or they're not rebuked. Mm-hmm. Slavery. Mm-hmm. The subordination of women. Mm-hmm. Having concubines. Now we we know that by the, that the Bible, Bible was clear, God was clear, hey, I want the king to have one wife, but then they're all like, okay, great, and then they go have a thousand ones and it didn't seem to um, genocide, yeah, infanticide, mm-hmm. and death penalty for many crimes. There are many reasons adultery that you would be put to death. Back talking to your parents. I'm glad I did not like. If my parents <laughs> took the Old Testament literally, I would not have survived past about eight or nine. Making fun of bald prophets. That's right. So, what do we do with these things? Uh, which bucket do we put them in? Let's, so, the first bucket is. This is the timeless will of God for all people. The second bucket is, well, this might have been God's will for a particular time, but it's not true now. Like circumcision. I would put circumcision in that second bucket. Mm-hmm. Is that, yes, this was clearly God's will, but after Acts 15, it's no longer a requirement. And then are there things that reflect the cultural, historical circumstances, but they're not God's will? And I'm wondering if some of these things, like infanticide or slavery, would be in that bucket where where I, I'm trying to work through this jam. I'm, the only two options I have is this. Either, yes, God commanded these people, I want you to go kill those infants. And he's God, and he can do what he wants, and just later it seems like he changed his mind, maybe, because now we're supposed to protect life. Or, was this where human society was in this world? Was this how people believed they heard from God. They lived in a time when violence was seen as a way to accomplish the purposes yeah. of God. And that's how you kind of proved whose God was God. You know, we won the battle, so our God. So so could could there be parts like that where maybe that wasn't really the will of God that infants would be dashed against rocks, but that that's how people were understanding him at the time. Yeah. Does that make is that a wild thought? No, I think because I think we as Christians do it in even modern times, I would point at, not to pick, but I would point at, say, Joel Olstein's version of the gospel, which is, well, I understand God as, you know, who's going to give us all of this stuff. If, you know, if, if, if we're in God's will, we're going to get this 
material wealth, and it's it's still this. Well, here's my culture. I'm interpreting God's voice through my culture, and I think that there is there is that in the Old Testament, and there is that even in the New Testament. You know, we talk about the rules about uh, servants and slaves and bonds servants yeah. in the Old Testament. That's through the Gospels. Jesus referred, many of his stories refer to having slaves in there. He doesn't seem to call out against them. Paul's discussions of slavery is masters treat slaves as they're your brothers in Christ, which we can see as a different than maybe than how we would interpret it's slavery. Improvement. But it's not a don't have slaves. Right. And so I think there is, if we accept scripture is divinely inspired and human written there are going to be those parts where they're not written in isolation joshua is written in a specific culture in a specific context that is very far divorced from colorado springs 2019 and there's still only so much that we can do to try and understand what the culture of joshua was we may we may never understand those genocidal and infanticidal sort of rules. But I think it's far healthier to look at them and go, well, what is the truth that God is saying? And is this a truth for Israel, the tribes, or is this a truth that he's trying to say for all time? Again, that allows the scripture, the scripture and the spirit who has been promised to guide us through scripture to work on us as opposed to saying, well, it's a literal hermeneutic, so. Yeah, and I guess this is true. I, I can't imagine anyone who would say, I'm an evangelical Christian, and I believe slavery is acceptable today. Right? No one would say that. But some people might go, well, it looks like it was acceptable at a point in Scripture. So which bucket does it go in? Does it go, it clearly doesn't go in the bucket of it's God's will that there right. must be slaves. Okay, so it can't yeah. be there. Well, it could be in the bucket that maybe for a time it was okay. God it was God's will that people had slaves, or maybe He treated them well, or maybe it's never been God's desire that humans would be subject to other humans in this way. But God just had to work through several thousand years of our commitment to that to get us to this point. And then even after the canon was closed, we are still marching forward. Yeah. And uh, you know, here's America with slaves in the 1800s. We're 1,500 years past uh, when the scriptures are closed on the subject, but there's still this progression, this arc that we're still moving towards a day when everyone is free. Yeah. Um, but bad interpretation is why so many churches in the South would get up on a Sunday morning and preach the gospel to a bunch of slave owners. Yeah. And they would all feel amazing about what they're doing because clearly the Bible told them just be a good slave owner. Right. That's a bad interpretation. I 100% agree. And you could see them as contradictions, right? But I think the heart of God is found in those scriptures where it says, hey, take care of the orphan, the widow, and the alien. Three of the people that you would normally in other cultures sell Um, or enter into slavery. And Israel was called to provide for these people in a different way, showing them this. Even when you get into the prophets and... He's like, listen, I don't want sacrifices. I want you to take care of the widow and the orphan. That's how I say Yeah. Yeah. And so when you, now this might get people nervous. I, I'm, I'm even nervous that I said it. I mean, just this thought that 
if you go back to that passage where God says, and after you, you know, destroy these guys, I want you to, you know, kill the kid, their kids and everything. Now, I grew up with some interpretations of that, which was, you know, that these people are evil. They believe the wrong uh, faith. And so they must be destroyed. Um, and nowadays, of course, we're, we're, we really oppose that when we, when other religions talk like that, but then we did. I don't think I'm really wrestling with God. Mm -hmm. I think I'm wrestling with human authors that were taking down his words and in an inspired way, in a true way, but also were operating under what they thought they were hearing God say. And this is why I'm glad we, we have a, a, the whole story. We have a full arc of the Bible yeah. that ends with Christ here. It didn't, if all we had was just some of the Old Testament, we'd go, well, what are we supposed to do with our enemies? Oh, Jesus told us, love your enemies. Oh, well, good thing I've got Jesus as my hermeneutic to help me process, yeah. kill all your enemies. Yeah. If I'm understanding Christ right, I don't see that as a passage where I'm wrestling with God. I'm just really wrestling with how human, the humanness of the scripture was coming out in that moment. Yeah. No, I, is that? no, I think that's a great, I actually think that's a great point to end on. I, I think the lens of, of Jesus as our hermeneutic something we should always be coming back to.